0: And yes. I'm here to say, as a woman that didn't get caught cheating, that I'm a sex and love addict.
1: A2H2Fers, it is Thursday. You know what that means. You're back with your two new favorite mother Fers, and we're that much closer to Friday. Worm, I miss you. We're kidding. We're making jokes. I don't know. Victor might stay here for a, for a good snow, but for a while, he's here with us, and we're here with Breanne Davis. She's an actress. She's an author of the book, A Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. She tells us about her sex and love addiction. She really opens us up. But the best thing is she is broadening our perspectives. So with that said, let's go sit back, buckle up, and let's go too hard, too fast.
0: Boom. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. Too
1: hard, too fast. Too hard, too fast.
0: Too hard, too
1: fast. Welcome to Too Hard too fast
0: hey hey welcome back to too hard too fast it is brianne davis and you're gonna hear some dirty juicy gossip about hollywood and me and my book so keep listening because you will not want to miss a thing the podcast of the century a lot of people get sex and love addiction really mixed up so what it is is we're addicted to people i'm addicted to people like friends family. A lover, a partner, whoever. And spe- specifically with sex addiction, you're addicted to the sexual act with a person. So it's like porn and masturbation, having multiple partners, cheating, you know, um, one night stands, you know, all that stuff is, but you're addicted to the act, the sexual act. Then the love addiction side is where you're addicted to intriguing, to flirting to going after the unavailable person over and over again and going back to horrible relationships, being stuck in relationships. And then there's another side to it that people don't talk about. It's called sexual anorexia, where you actually don't have sex at all or relationships because you're a fear of being abandoned and it's too intimate. We're scared of intimacies. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I, I, I'm glad you kind of explained it to us because I also had like a little misinterpretation of what addiction was or what... Yeah. uh, sex and love addiction was and um, you know coming from like gay culture I guess you could say um, you know it's very it's in gay culture we do have a a defamation of I'm gonna say a defamation of community uh, because (laughs) they do kind of like uh, put us in this closet or this box where we're constantly like addicted to drugs and we're constantly like sexual beings and Yeah. yeah some of the community is that way but there are others who aren't, and it's kind of like you're stigmatized so much that you just kind of end up believing the lie. And yeah, like if
0: someone's to... gonna say you're a mean person, or you're like, "I might as well be a mean person" because you're already calling me that. Like you yeah. just automatically go to it. But I think with the gay community, it's really fascinating. Um, I have s- my sponsor is a gay man, um, and he has taught me so much. But it's like this need to always like. Be searching outside of ourselves for that mm-hmm. stimulation, and it, it seems like that's what's happening in the community a lot like you're yeah. you're always looking for the shinier, better, prettier swipe left swipe right always look yeah. like always. And, and it's like
2: the age of apps now like you oh know, my
0: god Ugh.
2: different social meaning apps and they're just like it it incites I guess it's it's inciting a new generation of sex yeah. And-
0: it, no, I'm telling you. And that's why I spoke out, you guys. Like I was never going to tell anybody I was a sex and love addict. I've had, you know, over a decade of recovery. I've sponsored people all over the world. I have spoke all over the world. And what happened was a younger generation is coming into the meetings. It's younger and younger. And I used to be the youngest. And now we have like 20 year olds, 19 year olds. If you're 18 and younger, you can't come in the room. It's not appropriate. But I just had to say that. But like, oh, this generation and they're addicted to porn. Porn is such a problem. It's, it's desensitizing romance. It's de- sen- desensitizing sexuality. It's, it's causing like an idea of what sex looks like. What porn is, is a fantasy. That's yeah. not what real love looks like. And I just re- read this whole thing as how it's destroying this younger generation. And we are going to see an epidemic of people that are cannot connect cannot have intimacy. And that's what's happening. And I'm seeing these younger females and men coming in and I'm helping them. And it just was like, you know what? I need to be of service because this is affecting this generation that's coming up. It's pretty actually it's scary right now. Listen, I think people should own their sexuality. If that's your job, if that that's totally fine, I just see the underbelly of those jobs. I see the underbelly of always watching porn to get stimulated. I see the underbelly of people on apps constantly searching for this thing that is going to like be the white knight to fix them, to like make them feel like they're worthy. And the likes on Instagram, the constant searching for someone to say, you're good enough, you're good enough, you're good enough. And for me, it's just really difficult to sit back and watch all these people suffer. We have so many people suffering in this world right now.
1: Yeah, and so, going back to your, to the sex and love addiction, um, Mm -hmm. when you were, or the explanation of it, when, I never, first of all, I never even knew that, I knew there was people that were afraid of, you know, abandonment, because, (laughs) you know, in my own day job, like, I see students like that, they're afraid to get attached to a teacher, or to a friend, um, because of that, uh, but when you were explaining that, it took me back to your book, and, um, I read the first chapter. Um, I am a very slow reader, so I am not going to uh, – I have not finished it. It will probably take me a long time, even though it's like 300-something pages, right?
0: Yeah, 315.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so anyways, and, and we should say the book is called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Mm-hmm. Uh, the author, Brian Davis.
0: Hello. Uh,
1: so when you're in, in that first chapter, like I said – you actually explain your two hearts, two fast story that we're gonna hear later. Yeah, but or one of them.
0: One of the <laughs> uh, many.
1: <laughs> when you start explaining how, like, you weren't addicted to the sex, you weren't addicted to this, to to what I can get physically from this one guy or the other guy, and so on. Mm-hmm. It's like that 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 falling in love state. Yes, like, oh, like like oh like that that first kiss the first time, you know you guys do anything you guys the first time you do the no nos, um, or just even like that flirtation part like is this guy gonna like me is he gonna be into me, mm-hmm. and to me I was thinking okay I can totally see how somebody can like love that and be addicted to that because I mean we as humans love that and then so I can see how that addiction so for you, the flirtation. That. Not, now, I'm a, now I don't even know where I was going to go with this question. Well, I no, I
0: know what you're going to ask me. So it's the <laughs> it's the best euphoria and high in the world is people falling in love. It gives you the same feeling as cocaine, a hit of cocaine. So if you think about oh, it oh, like oh, that.
1: Victor, <laughs> chill. Hands up.
0: <laughs> but it's like that yeah. high, those endorphins are released. It's the same endorphins when you do drugs like that. So. The biggest, you know, if you watch any Dateline, if you watch any movie, it's always about somebody falling in love. And like it's the act of falling in love that I would love. Like the first kiss, the first handhold, the first flirtation, the first time, you know, the touching, all that like I was addicted to. And the moment those butterflies went away like the newness worn away, I would be thinking in my head because I had a warped sense of what a relationship looked like because I watched movies too young. I read things too young that I thought long-term love, you always had to have that feeling. And that's not true. You are not going to have butterflies with someone after a decade with them. Like that's – you – There's new experiences. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's like, but that's a deeper connection. And I was never looking for a deeper connection. I was looking for the high. I was looking for the excitement, the thrill, the, the newness. And as soon as that wore off, I would be searching outside of my relationship for the next victim is what I called it. And it's like, because I wanted power and control over everybody else in my life. Because inside, I felt so powerless about myself.
1: As you're saying that, I'm thinking well, um, it almost sounds like, let's say, an alcoholic or any like anybody.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For me, let's do it now because I'm I'm drinking a beer. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna have a beer because I want that buzz, like that. Yeah, that buzz, it's the buzz, same really. thing. Yeah, and then but every now and then it takes more and more and more alcohol. Yes, it amps. You have to amplify market. it. Yeah, I'm having no. a beer now, but I'm gonna take liquor later or whatever's gonna get me like to that state of uh, buzzness, but then all of a sudden it goes, oh, I wanted this buzz, but now I am wasted. And doing stupid things. Yeah, stuff you crashed. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, I messed up. I went too far. I took it too, I went too hard too fast. I took it too far. And so I'm thinking where, where I guess the, where the sex and love addiction gets people in trouble is, like you said, you fall in love with somebody that And this person is genuinely probably in love with you. But you're usually
0: put on for a lot of sex and love addicts, you become this person they, you know, they think they want. So if I I can read people really easy and I'm like, oh, to get this person, I have to act this certain way or dress this certain way. So it's like this whole game of like cat mouse, like I'm going to get this person. And a lot of sex and love addicts want to get that unavailable person because if you can make an available person love you then that gives you worth so we go after a lot of unavailable people then get them in our web trap them and then once you trap them you're like oh I actually don't even like this person like this isn't even somebody I want to be with so <laughs> it's like this whole thing of like cat and mouse push and pull excitement 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 part of the and, conquer. yeah and once you keep doing it over and over again your entire life you 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 have to amplify. Everything has to amplify because the high is less and less. You know, I talk about it in the book. The first time I cheated on my partner, uh, my boyfriend in eighth grade was with his friend and it was in a closet. And I remember this kid like kind of pushed me in the closet, was a little, little aggressive and I was taken aback at a young age. And he kissed me and my boyfriend was somewhere in the party. And it was like, heroin shot through my entire body and my entire body was on fire and it was like oh that is the best the secrets and the shame and the dirtiness and like that is what I've been chasing my entire life like that yeah that first hit of that cheating and like secrets I love secrets and but secrets keep us sick and kill us so it's like Am I going to die this way or am I going to get better? And that was what made me wrote the book. I wanted to write a book that normal people could understand if they're not addicts, but also educate them on what sex and love addiction is and that anybody can be Roxanne. Anybody can look outside of themselves to try to make themselves feel better. I'm sure you, one of you, both of you have gone on Instagram when you're having a bad day and like trying to swipe and get a hit or get, you know. Some high or reaching out to an ex when you're having a bad night or, you know, going back to the the partner that was shitty to you. You know, like we all do these things where we try to, like, make ourselves feel better and have some power and control over our lives.
1: I was I was not in an agreement. And then you said you yeah, have gone back to the to to an ex and i just quickly went still. because like my wife watches this no i do not i never done
0: it. Hey but yeah. you've done it in the past i mean oh, no, yeah, I just, believe it, me my husband read the book and he could only get to chapter 7 and then he stopped reading it and i'm like so what do you think and he was like i i never knew that you that happened. and i was like well here's the thing it's fiction so i said well, cuz it was true. I said that didn't happen. That was in my imagination. It's and he was like I was like it was Roxanne. It wasn't. And he was like, "Oh." And I don't even remember the part, but it was so funny. I started cracking up. Like
2: Did you have any reservations when it came to writing your book? Like was was this like after a soul search? You said, "You know what? Was this more um I guess therapeutic of a process or What was I your angle in it? The book, it was I, I got bullied.
0: Bullied, bullied pretty much. My husband is a huge supporter of mine. He's been uh, sober in AA for 32 years. He got sober at 19. Yeah, 19 years old, he got sober. So he, we're like pitching a show around town and he was like, you, there's this writing class. And I was like, I'm not interested in no writing class. I'm an actor, I'm dyslexic. I don't write, leave me alone, (laughs) go away and he kept mentioning it and i you know wrote this article for huff post and i got 2 2 million hits the first month and he was like no you have a story to tell and finally by the sixth time i was like okay dude like back off i'll write i'll take this writing class and he's yes. like you can quit right. if you hate it no one has to know and i wrote the first draft in 45 days and it was like I think because I let go of all the shame, let go of all the secrets already been in the program for a decade that I just allowed myself to put it all on paper. And it was a memoir, It, but I still was writing it. Like it wasn't me, like it was a character in a movie or something. And then when I kept rewriting with my editors and rewriting all these other scenes start, started popping in my head and dreams and other scenes of people I know and, um, And I just started putting it all in and it allowed me to go deeper into my own story. And I just, she became this other person. And I think it was so therapeutic for me. It was that last step of like stepping into my truth and my power and saying this, I was a shitty person. I've done shitty, shitty things, but that doesn't make me a bad person. I've just done bad things. And I think owning that and saying, here, here it is. Here's all the crap I've done. Here's, all the stuff that I've encountered in, in Hollywood too. And it just like let that last piece of um, any, any bit of shame, you know, just (laughs) evaporate.
2: Yeah.
0: And it was, I think it was very therapeutic. I think I've changed a lot since writing it this past year. I've been writing it, rewriting it, but, but yeah, it was never a plan. I was going to go to my grave being a sex and love addict. No one was going to know. I, I kind of like the
2: humorous approach to it, though. Yeah. Your, humor to your book. I, I kind of enjoyed it because um, it, it does offer like a little lightness to the mm-hmm. severity of the issue. Um, yeah. But, I didn't
0: want to go dun, dun, dun. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, she makes fun relatable. of herself a lot because I do. Yeah. I'm like, eh. Like,
2: <laughs> but, but I think, I think it, it allows for the reader to kind of maybe examine their own life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just be like, well, hey, I've had that kind of similar experience or, hey, that's happened to me. Am I a sex and love addict? Yeah. You know, and maybe just really start establishing a relationship with self, you know, and worth and dignity. And and I think that's kind of the beauty of the book that it's it's it has the humorous undertone, but it really does make you focus on your relationship and your relationship with yourself and really kind of self examine. I mean. You know, I, I I always love to read anything that kind of makes me self-examine anything of myself. Yeah. Well, it's a great.
0: self-help book, too. I mean, it's really this weird semi-memoir, like self-help, kind of like Sex in the City, chick lit, But a lot of men love it. And I have to tell you, that is the sweetest compliment. And it's true because I've had two people that I know in my life, read it. And both of them have gotten other 12 step programs, one for eating, one for money issues because of reading my book. And it's like, I just want to blow open the gates of all the things we are shameful of as humans. Like I do this, I do this. Sometimes I eat this sometimes, you know, like, and really look at like the why, why we don't adult up, why we don't take responsibility, Um, you know, compare and despair. That was the hardest chapter for me to write. And all that baggage that we carry because we're all the same. You carry the same baggage as I carry, you know? So I really am grateful you said that. That means a lot to me that it helped you look at your own life because that's why I did it.
1: That's fun. That's one yeah. that you had that same because I, I kind of also, like I said, I don't like too much of what is the word like smut. This, yes
0: it's like yeah it's a dirty a little dirty
1: smile <laughs> but the thing is the thing is i'm reading this and i'm going what the fuck am i reading so, hold on i gotta keep reading so i why do i associate myself to Roxanne. like you know why am i already there like okay but then you know what okay it's just too much i'm gonna take a break No, i'm not so i started you know going into it and um the one, obviously, I haven't gotten to the last chapter, but the title of it intrigued me. You mm-hmm. said, to, to sober date or not to sober date. Um, would you go into that a little bit? Like, what do you mean by that? For a slow reader?
0: Yeah, for, you're not a slow reader, please. I am like, I am I have a learning disability. I get it. Um, we all read at different paces. We're all okay. You're going to get there in the end just like I will. Um, yeah, we, we follow Roxanne for that first year of sobriety. And we see how these 10 rules that she lives by. And at the end, now she has to implement the rule. Because you can be a recovering sex and love addict. But you can't be a recovered sex and love addict if you don't then put those boundaries in place, start dating, start opening yourself up. Because what happens is you just withdraw and become a hermit and you're sexually anorexic. And that doesn't mean you're sober to be sober in the program. You have to be willing to be in a relationship, go through that process, be willing to be hurt, be willing to be seen for who you are. So at the end, well, we don't want to give up the end of the book, but that's what it is. Is she, Sober date, or is she not going to sober date? And that I like, is. I the like I like your
2: end to it to the to the end. You know, I liked it because um, well, at least my question to you would be for any. I want I I kind of want to say I kind of want to direct this question more to our female listeners. Okay. Um. Just just because our female listeners or or women have had such a bad rap, you know, like women have always been victimized and yeah. and continue to be victimized, and you know a lot of people, I want to say ho shame or sex shame, you know? So what, what would your advice be to maybe uh, a female listener and maybe, and to our men listeners, but being a woman, being in Hollywood, you know, being, being a sex and love addict, how do you recognize that? And how do you, how, what do you, what is an encouraging word you have for them? Like to say, no, you're not a ho, you know, this, or for lack of a better word, you're, you know, you're, it's it's a thing it's it's yeah. not you know you're not at fault it's not you you know there is a thing it's, it's something in you. Um,
0: Well, I don't have any problem with people sleeping around like I don't think anything every person that sleeps around is a sex and love addict. I don't believe that. I think you're a sex and love addict is when you're using it to fill you when you're depleted within yourself and you keep hooking up with all these people to make yourself feel better. And it's like, why do I keep doing this? And if you say, you know what, I'm not going to hook up. When I go out tonight, or I'm not going to call that ex that I sleep with every night after I go to the bar or whatever, like we do. And when you can't stop yourself and you keep doing the things when you said you're not going to do it, that's a clear sign that, okay, do I not have control, right? Like, am I like powerless over this person that I keep going to? Am I powerless over sleeping with these strangers because so it's that and it keeping it a secret and not telling people and lying about it. Those are the things that I think make people a sex and love addict. Nobody should be shamed if they want to sleep around, you know, that's, you know, we're a human. We all have sexuality. I think men right now are like p- p- forced into this role of like, be a player, be a player, be a player, get as many people on your belt. Like, you know, on your bedpost or whatever they say. get your notches on the bed. Yeah, (laughs) and I think for a man, that's really hard because there's this pressure to like be a man. And what if you don't want to hook up with every random person or sleep around? So I think on both sides, there's these roles we're supposed to play that aren't really the roles that are healthy or safe. So I definitely have, you know, people I say in the first Uh, chapter, you know, we're called a slut, a a hoe, a homewrecker, a whore. And it's like, no, Roxanne is just looking for someone to love her because she doesn't love herself enough. And I think if you're out there, keep DMing people, keep hooking up with people, keep trying to play this role you're meant to play, and it's not really truly who you are, and you feel empty and depleted at the end of it, then there's a problem there.
1: I'm glad. Um, I had one more question uh, concerning that, and okay. it really came from my wife because we were talking about the book we we're talking about you, and she kind of she helps me come up with questions when I'm like stuck. i was, like, I feel like I, I I can't come up with anything more. So she
0: yeah,
1: like, she goes, well, is she married? I go, yeah. It's like, well, how does she? And you've already answered it, but I just kind of want to mention is like, how um, how does she have a relationship with her husband? Mm-hmm. And you know, they obviously have to have sex at some point, and so I go, Well, do they? Because I feel like I, I think the and I said this is a joke. I was like, yeah, I, think, go ahead. I think it's just that, um, I think they entered that long term rehab, like you know, getting married. And she goes, What does that mean? It's like, Well, there's no sex in marriage, so ah! <laughs> And she just looked at me and goes. I hope
0: you suck today. Oh, my God. I love your wife. (laughs) Um, No. So, yeah. I mean, here's the thing that I love to say is that I got sober in this program. I found myself worth. I found myself love. And I'm still with the same man I was before i got in the program so it's not like i got in the program found my white knight found the person to fix me to make me feel whole there's no such thing as a soulmate. no one is going to fix your soul you have to do the work and for the first year my husband and i mark were together we did not have sex i could not have sex because i realized i was so detached from myself that I was always putting on, you know, my, my therapist said I was putting a mask over a mask over a mask, like I was just putting on whatever I needed to be that day for whoever. So the first year was really hard for us. And, you know, finding intimacy on a real basis, a long term relationship is a lot more work than, you know, just meeting some Joe Schmo down the street. So you know, we still work on our intimacy. I think anybody in a long-term marriage or a couple has to work on their intimacy. It doesn't come easy. And it's going to be like that with every person you've ever been with. So that was the thing that really hit me that, I would see somebody and be uh, attracted to them. And then I would run through my mind really fast, like the first kiss, the first this, the first fall in love. And then I go, and then we move in together. And then we have to learn to pay the bills. And then we pick up the dog shit. And then we'll have to do this. And then we'll have to talk about kids. And then finances. Like all that stuff happens with every single person. And somebody the other day said this thing, and I have to say it, but he said, find the hottest person in the world Believe me, somebody's sick of fucking them. So that just said, (laughs) like, like (laughs) isn't it? And it really hit me like, oh my God, that's true. You're if you don't, if you do not understand that you have to learn how to have real intimacy, a real connection, a real partnership, you're going to be looking for the next person and someone's gonna get sick of it. Like it's just how it is. And nobody taught that, taught me that. What I grew up thinking was it it had to be like Romeo and Juliet, you know, that one or two people had to be willing to die for each other to drink poison, that they loved each other that much and had to be dramatic. After two days, they were together for two days, Romeo and (laughs) Juliet, just so you know. So it's just like this society and media put this false sense of what intimacy looks like. And I guess I'm just here to break the barriers and say, no, that's a big fat lie. That is not what relationships look like. Healthy relationships. And if there's drama in your life, there shouldn't be drama in relationships. That's the thing I've learned being in the program. There's no drama in my life, not with my family, which was very toxic, not with my husband, not with my friends, no drama. Like people think there has to be drama. And the last thing I have to say is we had a guy walk in and when I was getting my six months chip and this thing really affected me he said I can quit heroin and I can't quit her and that to me just the severity of how many people I know committed suicide over a loved one not loving them or breaking up with them how many people I know that have gone to jail how many people I know have gotten diseases how many I have known so many people that have died from this disease that it's no joke
1: just to end things um I, I just got you. really
0: deep. I'm sorry. <laughs> <I don't mind. laughs>
2: no. I'm over here like, so true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's true. Watch any dateline. It's all about love triangles and people killing each other over. Like,
1: well, see, and that's the thing that's like, all this war. Funny. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, Seriously, like, seriously, the only time I heard about sex and love addiction or the first time was when, uh, I'll say it Tiger Woods got into this thing with <laughs> his wife. And, and he came out, oh, I'm a sex addict. And everybody made fun of it. I will say that I was in the trenches. like, he just doesn't want to get in trouble for cheating and getting caught. Oh, so I get it. Like, so that's the first time. But again, like, that's when more
0: people were But like, that's what everybody says. It's men that get caught cheating. And yes. I'm here to say as a woman that didn't get caught cheating that I'm a sex and love addict. And it can... Literally, the first mo- the first meeting I walked into, there was an A-list celebrity, to a social worker, to an elementary school teacher, to every walk of life, every ethnicity, every economic background was sitting in this room saying they had the same problem. It is not a man's disease. There is 50% women and 50% men. And I'm telling you, more and more women are coming out saying, I have this problem.
1: Um, um- You've clearly made a new perspective on me.
0: I'm so Uh, happy. (laughs)
1: 100%. And uh, I'm glad you keep saying, you know, it's a disease. It's a problem. It's a real thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just a joke you throw around at the TV or, you know, back and forth with your wife or friends. It's a real thing. And thank you for, you know, I came in this ignorant and I wanted to come in this ignorant because that's what I, I wanted to learn from it. Uh, Victor, I have no idea. Victor comes with a whole different kind of uh, baggage. Uh, and I love him for it. Love, I, I, ah, I love you, Victor. But with that said, we're going to close out the podcast with Brianne Davis's Too Hard, Too Fast story. Uh, anyone you want to share, you want to share the one from the book, you want to share a different one, you want to just do an exclusive for Too Hard, Too Fast? Woo! Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just going to do the one, you know, the opens the book in the book Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex Addict. You find yourself in your driveway getting confronted by two dudes and both of them think they're your boyfriend and you're like, "Uh, but no." You know, and that was too hard too fast in my disease. That actually happened. I was confronted by two people and, you know, the realization that, you know, a pregnancy might have happened. Not a good look for anybody. <laughs> And, you know, and the shit hit the fan really fast. And you have to, like, manipulate your way out of it. And here's the thing. I got both of them back right after. So it's like my addict was in manipulation, was getting confronted, and would go to her grave line and saying that she didn't have a problem. So that was my too hard, too fast. And there's about – 30 more that I could have said, and some of them are in the book. So you got to get it to find out the goods.
2: (laughs) I just want to say thank you for broadening my perspective as well. Um, And um, just let some of our listeners know where they can get your book, what platforms is it available on
0: Well, right now we're exclusive with Amazon, which, and the audiobook is coming out soon, but you can get the paperback. You can get the Kindle on Amazon. Just go to Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict on Amazon. If that's too much for you, you can go to secretlifenovel.com and it will send you to Amazon, or you can get a signed copy from me that's on my page, Secret Life Novel. Yeah. So it's good. And I just hope to educate and inform and, and also have a good time and entertain.
1: Yeah. I'm just saying that that signed copy sounds very intriguing. Yay. (laughs) But uh, thank you for going too hard to fast with us. Um, We're closing out the podcast. Guys, remember, actually, Worm, what are you going to say? Oh, Worm, you're not here. You messed up a good conversation. Victor,
2: what are you going to say? I was like, keep listening to too hard, too fast. Brianna, it's been a pleasure. I've loved it and I've learned a lot. I wish you a lot of success. Thank you. Perfect. Brian Davis, thank you one more time for hanging out with us.
1: We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Boom. It's done, look.